Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, Crew Call 4-2. This is the March 2023 show. Uh, and we're doing another uh, Talking Heads video kind of a thing here with uh, returning champion Jerry Schaefer, a.k.a. Hunter Houston. He was last on, uh, I had to look it up, October of 2020. So something tells me he's going to have a couple of things to bring us up to speed on. Um, he's one of those guys that's a multi-talented individual uh, musician, as like if you couldn't tell by his background uh, instrumentation there, and um, a an all-around uh, all-around modeler and uh, and Renaissance type of guy. So uh, definitely the kind of guy I like to have a a good spirited conversation with. So welcome back, Jerry. Thanks, buddy. It's good to see you again. Same here. Same here. It's been a little been a little while. Uh, you're up there in the Great White North, which is not too uh, snow covered these days. Not too bad. We had a bit. Of, we had a bit of snow uh, throughout the day today, but it's not too bad. It doesn't I, stick I have around. plowed exactly once this winter. You have yeah. that fantastic tractor, so I would be out with that thing all the time. If oh, I had you that. remember that? Yeah. No, listen. I the first snowfall, I never mind plowing. Right. It's yeah. like cutting the grass. Like I enjoy the first one or two times I have to cut the grass in the spring. And then after a while, it's like, oh, yeah, been there, done that. And plowing's the same way, the same way. I have snow removal equipment envy, I think. I have a snowblower, but, you know, I, and it's funny because I live in a subdivision and when it snows, the guys with snowblowers will, they'll be up and down the street snowblowing for everybody because you get a chance to use it, right? We don't need much uh, encouragement to use the, uh, to use the equipment, you know. Uh, sure. and I, went, I went most of my life with subpars, uh, you know, snow, snow removal equipment. And uh, and then when I started to get old, I thought, nah, life's too short to struggle. I'm not. It's not going to get easier for me. So I'm going to get something, you know, like the last tractor I'm ever going to need. And hopefully, and I know that sounds a little uh, morbid, but you know, these things last forever. Hopefully, <laughs> it's a diesel, I, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't even own a tractor, so I'm jealous already. Well, and this one has a has a backhoe, so uh, it's even more fun. Yeah. For, when I first got it, I was looking for excuses to dig holes. I was digging holes for neighbors and just, hey, you need a hole dug because I can do it. Yeah. My property is so small, I, I I wouldn't be able to dig a hole without digging a hole in my neighbor's yard as well. So, well, you know, uh, you want to spread the uh, spread the joy, I think. Right. There you go. So it's been a while. And I know you're the kind of guy who's always doing something. Um First of all, let's talk about hindsight a little bit. Now, was hindsight was your baby, Ted's baby, a, a, a joint effort? Just, just fill me in on that a little bit. So, it was when the pandemic started, and uh, I think, yeah, I think it was like uh, March, right when the when when things kind of went off the rails. And uh, Ted and Ryan, um, it was their idea, and Ted. Uh, messaged me and he says, Hey, I want to do this thing. Can you help us out? And we want you to be part of it kind of thing. And at first I thought, um, interesting. This is, this is very cool. They want to do, you know, an online RPM. I was flattered. I kind of felt like, uh, who was it? It was, I think it was like, uh, Neil Diamond was on the last waltz with, with the band, <laughs> you know, he was like the guy that was like, why is he here? Right. Cause those two are, those two are, you know, the, what I would call kind of, you know, like really extreme talented high-end modeling skill guys. And have also, you, have you seen your modeling? Cause I'm sure that you're, <laughs> you're there for a reason. So, yeah. And also really like deeply knowledgeable. Like I hang out with these guys all the time. So, you know, I, I. Encyclopedic I knowledge. I know. I mean, I, I, I hang, I, I like to have a bunch of those friends on tap because that way I don't have to remember anything. I just ask them. Exactly. So we did uh, that. And that's a, that's a handy thing to have. So we did the first one in June um, and uh, it was well attended. And I mean, it was a little rough. We'd never done something like this before. We learned a lot. Sure. What's the frequency on them? Is it? Well, like we were doing them year? back then. We, we, we were doing them once every three months or so. So we were doing about mm -hmm. four a year. Mm -hmm. I think we did five one year. I think I did one of them, but I couldn't tell you when. Yeah, I think you did too. I don't, I, I mean. I it was the first year. Well, think about this. We have done, we did our 15th. Wow. Yeah, 15th or 14th uh, last last week or two. Uh, yeah, last week. And there are 10 per 
you know, 10 clinics. Right. And, uh, and this is not like a like a two hour thing. I mean, this goes basically all day, like a typical RPM meet. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it starts at noon. It usually ends. Most of the events that we put on are 10 clinics. And so that's, you know, that's 150 clinics that we did. And then we've done uh, we've done a few what we call Wednesday night hindsight Wednesday night, right? So we, we've done a few of those where it's just a one-off and it's there's no time limit. A person comes in and presents and just talks for an hour or two or whatever. Uh-oh, that would be dangerous for me. Yeah. So, so yeah, we've done so many that, you know, when you say, I think I did one, I, I can't honestly remember when it was because there's so many, right? right. And uh, when you've done that many, exactly. But we've had, I mean... Yeah, do you have any sense of uh, what, what a typical audience size is for it? Well, about uh, anywhere from 150 to 300 is, is the range. That, that's that's like, that's right in there with all of the, the, the proto meets. Yeah, yeah. Although so, you probably have more uh, of, a, of a geographically widespread audience, I would think. Yeah, we came, we learned about, um, we, we got, you know, we were told, I guess, about uh, about our timing from the West Coast people. Because mm-hmm. they're like, you guys are starting at noon and that's, what, 4 a.m. out there? I don't know. And so they're, so they were kind of like, we haven't had a chance to have lunch yet and this and that. So we had to consider that, you know, and, and then. Works for me because, you know, I, I'm not much good for anything before noon anyway. Yeah. So, and then, you know, once you do that, then, I mean, we had people from Europe who were coming on and, and, and staying on for part, because I think it eventually, like they stay on for the first part, I guess it would be. And then as the as the show progresses, it gets it just gets too late for them. You know, you call an all nighter kind of thing. Is, so that, now, are that, these things archived at all? I mean, is there is there an ability to go back to them anywhere? No, I and I I kind of I kind of like that. Yep, we, we've been doing that on purpose, and I've been t- and when people ask me about that, I I ask them to think of it as a concert, right? And, and imagine back when when we were younger, and you know you bought a ticket and you went to a show and you saw a great band. Right. And then, and then what you had for the rest of your life was bragging rights, you know, right. Like, I saw the police in 1978 and you can say that for the rest of your life. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, that kind of a thing. So that, that was the, that's kind of the thinking behind keeping it, uh, you know, without, I mean, we have recorded some, uh, Ted records his, he's archiving his when he presents, mm-hmm. uh, I think he's got a YouTube channel and he's going to put them up on there. That makes sense. So in other words, it's not the entire thing. It's just whatever you're happening to be presenting. Yeah. And and uh, um, the odd person will ask us to record theirs and we'll do that for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, generally, like a lot of times, the other issue, too, is that people will bring with them um, in their clinic. They'll bring images that they don't have the right to reproduce um, because you might have found it on the internet mm-hmm. and, it, and it informs your clinic and people do this at real world, world clinics all the time. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't, I don't really think there's a problem with that, but if you're going to record it and put it out somewhere and now you've got photos that you can't, you don't have attribution for it. I, we don't feel right about that. No, and I don't, and, and who needs the grief? No. And most of the clinicians also, you know, like they're getting photos. Some of them are getting photos as favors from, from people who took them, you know, sure. or, you know, so uh, it's not always up to the person giving the clinic, whether they're allowed to distribute these photos for free. Right. So there's that. And I, you know, I, when you think about all the, all the friends we made over the years and, and, and resources and what have you, um, people are, are happy to help you, but you're right. It doesn't necessarily mean they're giving you away to the to the universe you know what they might give you based on a personal relationship that makes that makes perfect sense yeah it's a and and i think that um i think it's also important because if you if you've got photos that aren't that have no attribution it it's not really uh productive for the historical record because then nobody knows when it was taken like if it gets out there on the internet and it just circulates around and somebody finds it nobody knows where it was taken nobody knows who took it you know I when see it photos was all the time on uh, the various facebook groups and what have you and and some of it's pure gold i mean people are just putting all kinds of really valuable stuff out there but probably half the time what's lacking is the date and maybe maybe they don't know or maybe they didn't bother to you know get it off the original source or or whatever 
yeah. to me, that's one of the most important things because if you're a, if you're modeling a particular point in time, which I know, I think you are obviously, yeah. uh, I know I am, and um, there's something about the '80s. I don't know. It, it wasn't like the most prolific uh, time for uh, people to take photos for some reason. You know, it's it, there's certain you know the late '70s that that whole end of Penn Central going into Conrail, a lot of pictures then, and it seemed like when they got into the early 80s, much less available. And then maybe later on when people had gotten used to the idea of Conrail as an example, uh, and Conrail kind of got its act together, lots more photos available, you know, but I really have to hunt around for what I need for my 1984 uh, timeframe. That's interesting. my area. Yeah, I, I, I never considered that. Um, for me, I, I got my first camera, probably 19... 81 maybe you know and and i started shooting i shot black and white for a little bit and then i started shooting slides and and i really only took train photos for for the 80s i think i i stopped pretty much at the because i got real busy right with other other life things sure which is very very common in in our hobby and probably many hobbies but and then you pick it up again at some point because it's in your blood you know it's in your bone marrow but that's just my experience, right? The Gen X experience is like, you know, being a young adult in the eighties. And then, uh, I'd never considered that there weren't a lot of people out there shooting. Um, I wonder why that is. Maybe Conroe was, re- I know that Conroe was really unpopular with the older rail fans at the time. You know, mm-hmm. they, they were, they really resented the, uh, the loss of all those fallen flags. I sure. think. Sure. And I mean, you can see why they'd feel like that. And, and I didn't understand it at the time, but, um, once Conrail ended, all of a sudden, I understood. It just, yeah. you know, I just, I got it. Like, like the steam guys that hated diesel. Yeah, I was, you know, it's interesting too, because my, like my, I, I had a lot of friends or had a number of friends. I wouldn't say a lot of friends, but I had a number of friends who were like bona fide uh, rail fans, I'd call them, right? Like they, they actually knew what they were looking at. They, they knew how to find things and they, and they, they knew where to take pictures and all of that. And I was a bit of a dilettante. I was kind of, I hung out with them just to sort of, you know, get to know how to, what was happening. And my, my dad worked for same CNR. Here. I had the exact same, exact same. I don't, sometimes even hanging around with them, I couldn't figure out how they knew what they knew. Yeah. <laughs> they just exactly. knew. They had, yeah. they, they uh, it's, you know, they're hunters in a way, you know what I mean? They, the thrill of the, the thrill of the chase, you know? Yeah. And uh, and I I rail fanned uh, at during those times with some real you know hardcore rail yeah. fan guys. My my one regret is I kind of started a little bit too late. I all of the stuff that I took, it's all too new for my era, you know. And and, and who knew I I I missed out on a lot of stuff that I probably you know could have been or should have been uh, taking pictures of. But back in those uh, those mid eighties, you know, I was I was actually raising um, someone yeah. of more. <laughs> We had sure. a little bit of an age difference here, you know. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be 67 in July, hard to believe, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and my son is uh, in his late 30s now, you know. What I mean, just to put it in, yeah, yeah, in perspective, you know, yeah. Um, but um, that's interesting. So, you have you have you found that your prototype interests have changed over the years, or is it always pretty much what you're focused on right now? And we can talk about what that is. Oh, you know, I, I went through a lot of different things when I was it, like in the 80s, I think prototype modeling, which you and I both do, like, uh, I think that it it was in its infancy. No, because, question. because it was just like there was there was a magazine called Prototype Modeler and there was Mainline Modeler. Mm-hmm. I remember picking those up. And and the first time I looked in, in either of those magazines and I went, oh, these are my people right here. Like this right. is this is what I want to be doing as much as I, I thought, you know, model trains were fun and cool and everything. Mainline uh, model was uh, Bob Huntman, right? Huntsman. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I yep. think you're right. And yeah. prototype modeler, I think in the beginning was Jim six. I wouldn't know. Yeah. It sounds right though. Yeah. Yeah. Jim was, I was a big fan of Jim's. He was writing in RMC a lot in the eighties, I think. Cor- correct. In fact, how, how I got to know Jim was, um this was in like the, the the beginning of the internet and and um what the heck did they call them at that time it was some kind of message board or a kind of a thing you know yeah. and um 
I had been reading his articles and they were just like, they were speaking to me because it was exactly what I was doing. You know, he was doing that whole Penn Central into Conrail thing. And um, I ended up uh, asking him, a, a, I think I posted something on, on one of the boards and it was a question. He answered it. And I said, are you Jim Six who writes all the articles for RMC? And he said, yeah, next thing you know, I'm going back and forth with the guy. Um, I ended up becoming friends with him, stayed at his house a few times. We went rail fanning. I mean, you never know how it's all going to go. Yeah. Um, and and you get, uh, there's people that I've met maybe once at uh, at a train meet that I've been friends with for 20 plus years now. You know, you just, you connect with, you click with whoever you're going to, you're going to click with, you know. Um, I didn't realize at the time how mercurial Jim was and how he would be more than willing to just get rid of something that he'd spent hours doing because now he's got a new interest, you know, and he's, he's a steam modeler now, believe it or not, you know, he's kind of gone back in time. Yeah. Um, Ken McCurry did the same thing. You know, he went from Conrail all the way back to Pennsylvania and right through, right through Penn central. So it's interesting how people do that. I mean, look at me, I was a early nineties Conrail modeler and now I'm 1984, you know, but that's not going to change in my end. But it does explain why there's a couple of Jim Six locomotives running around on my layout. Because, yeah. you know, there's also a Ken McCory engine running around on my layout. So um, these people, I think, you know, like to feel it went to a good home. And they're in use. They're in regular service. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, back then, I think um, I, I kind of, you know, tried a few things on. There wasn't a lot of product on the market. So everything, if you picked something that you wanted to model, you had to build it. Right. A lot so of you good develop stuff. your skill set, though. Yeah. So I was really, you know, it was one of those things where I was, uh, it wasn't just what I wanted to model, but it was like, what can I model? Like, what can I realistically, what can I accomplish? Sure. And and how do how would I go about doing it, right? And also, you know, it was I was I was what in my twenties, so uh, and I was I started touring a bit, and and I didn't really have a, a kind of home base, right? right. So. Maybe you're building kits and things, but not a little. Else. Yeah, I I had started some things, and then and then it all just came up, you know, came to an end, and it all went into a box, and it came out in 2010. Mm -hmm. 20 years where I, I didn't, I I just didn't even engage with the hobby whatsoever. So when I came back, it was like, are you kidding me? Look at what's a happening. A little different from uh, where you left it. Yeah. So now you know. Then it was sometimes a I miss the the very old days because I'm like a builder at heart, you know. And, yeah. and, and I'll, you know, I'll look at an $85 Atlas announcement of a port tech covered hopper. And I think, really, that's where we are, you know, because nobody wants to build anything. <laughs> you can still build stuff. You have, I mean, there's the RPMs, you know, there's 300 people there building stuff. Well, at least True. 300 people interested in building stuff. True. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other topic too, right? With, right. with like where the, where, who is building and who is, because I, I hang with, you know, with, with Ted and Ryan and, uh, and, you know, those guys. So there, there's, they're, you know, deeply entrenched in the RPM circle of people. So they're all builders and they're mm -hmm. all, they're all building stuff. That's pretty astounding. Right. So my, my layout's far enough along that my wife was getting worried that I would run out of things to do on it. And of course I laughed and said, you don't have to worry about that. That's simply never going to happen. All she sees is that it, it all kind of looks, you know, presentable for the most part. I mean, there's a couple of areas left to do, but she doesn't realize that's just the first pass. You know, I will never run out of things to do on this layout. Yeah. yeah. So, and I don't mean to imply that people who, you know, don't build freight cars or whatever, you know, are any in the hobby in to any less degree than anybody else is. It's just that there's, there's a lot of different ways to be in the hobby now. Right. Absolutely. And and Absolutely. Uh, you can still build if you want to. There's lots of, in fact, I think there's, the hobby's never been better in every possible vector you can imagine, right? Like there's resin kits now that, that you can, you can get so much stuff. It might not be currently in production, but it's been produced, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, like I've, over the past year, I've been building some uh, uh, steam air freight cars that got rebuilt in the in the sixties and early seventies. Right. So I've been kind of working on that aspect of my freight car fleet and so I've been drawing on resin kits for that. So let's talk a little bit about exactly what you are modeling and maybe, and maybe, you know, why, what, what about it, you know, grabbed your, grabbed your interest that now I've seen 
I don't know if it's sections of your layout or photo dioramas. I mean, talk about what you're doing right now. Yeah, so I've, I've had uh, a small piece of the layout, the first part of the layout built for for quite a while. It's operational. You know, I can run operating sessions on it. And it's it's kind of the, um, the anchor um, industry for the layouts paper plant. Um, a really primitive paper plant that got shut down in, in uh, late sixties, early seventies. And I'm sort of stretching the truth a bit by pushing it into the er, like the sort of early seventies. How big is this section? Uh, it's like 12 feet long. Okay. It's, you know, and it's like basically a, a switching layout at that point. Right. Yeah. So the, the rest of it, I'm, I'm in the process of actually starting to build like this spring. Um, getting some bench work things put together and, and going to expand out more. It's just, it's going to be a one town layout. So it's trains go staging to staging, mm -hmm. um, a small, a really small yard, um, to work locals from mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And then a lot of, uh, a lot of scenes, uh, kind of, uh, inspired by, uh, Western New York, Buffalo, Rochester kind of area. Now, is this stuff you saw back in the day and you decided, I, I want to model that? Yeah, my, my dad had a friend in uh, in Hamburg, New York, and we used to, and we, so we lived just across the border and we would go visit, you know, him often. And I did, I did see the Lehigh Valley, um, you know, in the early 70s. I do remember seeing it. I, at the time I was so young, I don't really, it's, it's all just trains, right? And it's all really cool. But the name stuck in my mind. I kind of feel that way about the New Haven. You know, it was right here in my in my hometown. And um, I, I, you know, have vague, very vague memories of, you know, New Haven uh, U25Bs and, and maybe a, a Jeep. But really, my earliest memories are of, of Penn Central coming in. You know, and I remember these brand new painted BC green cabooses that... You literally could smell the paint on, you know, that's how they were. They were just resplendent. And I thought, wow, you know, no, no, no clue at that time. What a, you know, disaster PC would end up being. Yeah. I, I, I personally, I think that the early seventies are, are really interesting to model is that's what I model. I, yeah. I think it's a, uh, it's a great um, it's well, it's not a, it's not a great time historically, but it's an interesting time for, oh, yeah. for someone who's a, who's a fan of, of equipment or rolling stock and locomotives and right huge and diverse fleets yeah i mean if you model penn central you can pretty much build any engine that you want i think just about the only and, the only uh railroad that had a more interesting fleet than penn central was conrail because it was penn yeah. central plus everybody else right yeah and i think they had something like five thousand locomotives to start from all the builders you know in that moment in time if you looked at that roster you'd go wow yeah nothing else ever really came close to my knowledge no probably not so so that's that's where i'm at with the layout i'll be building more layout soon um i i really love i really love photography and i love taking photos of my of my, of the layout Mm -hmm. And I really need more, I need more scenes. So more than anything, it's that more than the desire to watch trains running around the room. It's, it's interesting. It, yeah. I really desperately want to have some new scenes that I've been percolating in my imagination for a long time. And, and so I've been thinking about um, how to approach them, how to go about building them. Well, I don't um, know about you, but until I get it in my head, I can't build it. Yeah. I might think about it and think about it and think about it. And then something clicks and it's like, of course, I can build this, but that's where I have to start. I have to like see it in there. Yeah, I also have a lot of distractions too because, um, I guess it was probably just before COVID started that um, uh, I started writing reviews at RMC for product reviews, right? And uh, or it might have been just as it started or whatever. So that's been keeping me kind of busy. Like it does take a lot of time to really um examine new products and 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 kind of figure out the prototype and figure out how how close something is to the prototype and then any article takes takes a while to do it right yeah and you've probably done what 100 100 pieces at this point no not that many but i've done a lot yeah and and I, like the photography takes a long time i take i take a lot of care with it i invest a lot in you know the computer to do it to process the images on and my my camera gear and my little setup for taking pictures and uh, of the models in a in a sort of neutral background, so and I love doing that, right? So so that that's a bit of a uh, 
I don't know, I call it a distraction, but it's where some of my energy goes as opposed to building more of the layout. Sure. Um, I don't There's resent only so many it. hours in the day. I, I, you know, people, I think, think that I work on, on the layout 24 seven, but um, I, I work in these furious bursts of, of inspiration uh, interspersed with these just fallow nothingness in between, you know, and, and uh, a lot of it's driven by, by business, you know, I mean, I'm still, I'm still working. I have my own IT business and uh, boy, when that rears its head, you know, you, you can't ignore it, you know, it just sucks up all the oxygen in the room. So I had yeah. planned uh, some, some, you know, typically have like a project uh, for the winter and um, just didn't have, actually I did the project that I was going to do in the winter in the fall. And then when I hit the winter, I just got busy with other things. I've got a new, you know, grand granddaughter in Florida and just all, all kinds of life things and haven't done squat except operate the layout with, uh, you know, just a couple of friends here and there, you know, and um, that's been very rewarding too, because for most people, I think, uh, sure, you've got these other things about why you're building a layout. You know, you, you enjoy the building of it. You want to take pictures on it. On and on and on. You enjoy making scenery or 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 whatever. But if, you know, the whole package is run the thing and yeah. run it and, and take some pleasure in doing it, you know, um, which is not to say that people who don't are, are lesser. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying for exactly. me. Uh, that was always the, the, you know, the be all and, and end all, except that I didn't have the faintest idea what I was doing. I knew everybody else's layout better than mine. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you build this big complex system and until you actually get it going and start running it, you have no idea if the original concept was sound or not, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and the weird thing that I have found is that, for me, my layout's way more interesting to operate than I thought it would be. I just couldn't have, you know, conceived of it, you know, but I think there were some happy accidents there and, uh, and some prototype uh, information that I was able to come across from some really high quality sources that I was able to incorporate into what I built in the addition and what I modified in the original layout area that, that resulted in it being just way more fun to operate than I could have ever imagined. You know, um, the thing that it's also, it's also a little bit more complicated than I thought it was going to be because yeah. there's, uh, you know, there's, there's interchanges with short lines and there's a mainline interchange Conrail and DNH and, you know, and trackage rights and all of this stuff. And it sounds like, you know, sounds like something maybe deliberately complicated, but it wasn't, it's basically, when you model a spaghetti bowl, you end up with some spaghetti, you know, and that's the complexities of that can be um, challenging, but in a good way, you know. So for the longest time, uh, it was just my buddy Dave and I running the layout and and basically the thing ran at its own pace, you know, and where, whatever we, wherever we stopped, next time we got together, we just picked right up at that point and, and, and went on. And that way of operating, I think, was something that I became very enamored of, you know what I mean? Because rather than have to sort of like, you know, do this whole big restaging and reorchestration before you can run again, you just pick up and start where you left off, you know? Yeah. Uh, now, the more people that are involved, the less you can do that because eventually you have to go into staging and, and restage a train, you know? Yeah. Uh, but Basically, the pattern seems to be a couple of mainline Conrail trains interspersed with a lot of locals. And then, hey, we need to run some DNH while we're at it. And then, oh, yeah, what about the short lines? You know what I mean? So uh, one of my short lines basically roams all over the place uh, at a very, very low profit uh, uh, operation, you know. And uh, that's one of my favorite jobs because I just kind of go everywhere on the layout. And uh, some of it's trackage rights and some of it's their own track, but there's just like endless things to do. Is this, so are you, um, are you currently scheduling like larger group operating sessions or are you, you're just operating it with small, 
small I group? Think, I think that for me personally, and I don't think I'm alone in this, Mike Confaloner and I were talking about this on the last podcast, actually. Um, well, that, yeah. The 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 days of the large operating system session are probably over um for for a variety of reasons you know um when you have too many people you're 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 the the layout owner doesn't get to have much fun that day yeah you know, you're just you're just hurting cats and and project managing and problem solving and um keeping people busy and dealing with people who are more busy gabbing than, than, than running. And if you have the, if you have the right number of people, the right, the right maximum number of people, people can sort of get into the job that they're doing. Uh, layout's big enough that, um, you know, if it's two or three people, you, you can, you can spend 45 minutes or an hour basically by yourself. Yeah. And 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 that creates the feel that you're going somewhere and doing something, and then returning to home base. And then sometimes there's heavy interaction with another person. Sometimes you know all three people are you know crammed into Pittston Yard trying to trying to do their thing. I mean, it's very organic the way that it the the way that it happens and non orchestrated, which personally I enjoy because because no two session has been the same way twice. You know what I mean? It's always, you're always like, oh, how'd that happen? You know, we have to deal with that. Just like a real railroad would have. You know, you have a operational scheme in mind, but uh, when you start adding, you know, people and variables, just never know really what what you're going to get. That sounds appealing to me. That's been very interesting to me. So I, I would say that probably just uh, from a theoretical standpoint maybe five people would be the most i think that i would enjoy having running the the layout at one time uh and by definition it wouldn't be the same group all the time although there's always some you know like my local buddy dave would probably be on on most of the sessions but maybe maybe not all not everybody can make every session and i don't want to feel like i have to have uh you know, enough time has passed that oh, I gotta gotta get together another op session. I mean, you know, we might operate four times in a month, and then we might not operate the next month. It's just however it goes, you know. And that that loosey goosey kind of thing kind of works for me because I have a very I don't want to say chaotic but unpredictable kind of a, a schedule with the with the IT side of things. It's kind of like being a being an obstetrician. You know what I mean? You never know when it's time yeah. to go take care of something, you know, so uh, to get locked in on things is sometimes a little, a little difficult. I can see that. Yeah. No, it sounds, so does that mean when I come to visit, I can actually run trains? Hell yeah. Just pick up and start doing something. Nice. You're really good. I mean, obviously you're qualifying on the territory, but um, the, the operational scheme was designed in such a way that there's not like a really steep learning curve, you know, and the waybill system that I use, I could explain to you in four minutes and you'd get it, you know? Uh, And then it's just a matter of, um, you know, knowing the place names and which direction to go in and helps if you know Pennsylvania geography, but if you don't, you know, there's, there's signs on the fascia, you know what I mean? So if you just head in the right compass direction, you're going to be just fine. Nice. That's cool. And you've had it operating for how many years now? Like how many years have you been able to actually, you know, run trains on it? I, well, I mean, I've been running trains. So that's a complicated question because the layout has gone through so many different iterations. You know, when I built the house, half the basement was going to be the train room and the other half was my office. Right. And then I outgrew both of those things uh, very quickly and ended up building another building, which had my workshop and my office on top of that. And then um, then the whole basement became the layout. Right. And I was definitely running trains with friends all during that time. Uh, but it was a very, I want to say, antiquated kind of a scheme that I had in there. And I hadn't found my prototype yet. It was like a proto freelance kind of a thing. And a lot of things weren't finished because I just had this sense of this is not quite it, you know. And then I don't know. I think I was I think I just kind of stumbled across my prototype uh, driving around in Pennsylvania, just looking for things. And um, and it just clicked for me. 
you know, it just, it just, the, the interest in the area clicked for me. Um, I do a lot of bike riding and there was one day that uh, on the bike ride, all of a sudden, uh. I got the changes that I would have to make in order to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. And, uh, and I was so excited about seeing if what I was thinking on the bike ride was possible. As soon as I got back, I didn't even take off the biking gear. I just ran downstairs and grabbed the tape measure and started measuring things. And I thought, yep, I can do it. I can do it. Yeah. And that was that was really when it it started to be different. Um, and then maybe a year before the pandemic, I built I built an addition that connected the workshop building with the uh the, with the house. And that added another 850 square feet to the layout. So you know, so the whole train uh, with leaving out the central core, which has the furnace and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's about 1800, uh, you know, square feet of, of, of layout. So um, once the addition was built, parts of the original layout got moved out into it. And then all kinds of connective tissue had to be created to get things running again. It took about a year of, of frankly, very pleasant uh construction and um and i've been running ever since yeah cool so you're you're uh you told me this before that you're into biking so is it road riding or or rail trails no road riding yeah i don't do road riding anymore i'm on rail trails these days and so when i when i come down that way to visit i'm going to be looking for some rail trails to uh to explore and uh I, i'm sure there's stuff that that exists yeah, yeah. I don't know how boring it'll be because a lot of it is just, you know, they, they paved the old right away and you're just riding through the woods, you know? Yeah, well, that works for me. So you're going to be, uh, you've been writing a lot with um, MRH and we just talked a lot about operations. Yeah, I'm I'm one of the getting real columnists for, um, for M, uh, MRH. I mean, it's basically prototype modeling. That's what the yeah. getting real is concept is so i usually do a couple of things a year uh for them and i've been doing it a long time i i couldn't tell you how many years but you know like double digits of years i'm sure at this point i used yeah. to write a lot for uh rmc way back in the day and then you know went through kind of a hiatus on that when there was a changing of the guard there mm -hmm. um, i did do uh, an article for rmc a couple of years ago might be three um and enjoyed it you know but again I don't know. I mean, I'm probably over well over 200 articles uh, in print, and eventually it just kind of, you know, put your energies elsewhere, you know. And I think that's I think that's kind of what I've been doing. the The column is good because it's got a schedule and a deadline, and it keeps me, you know, a couple times a year it keeps my keeps my hand in. And basically, I'm writing about what I'm doing, you know, what's yeah. interesting to me and what I'm doing at, at that time. Um, I think, uh, I think in the future, as I maybe make a second pass through the railroad and get things, uh, you know, visually tweaked a little bit more, I'll probably do some pieces on the, on the railroad itself. Uh, as long as, you know, the eyesight holds up and the brain holds up, you know, I mean, why not? But um, I'm, I'm just very, interested in running the layout and, and working on it these days. And I'm, you know, I'm building models and, and, and what have you, you know, and that's one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about, by the way. Sure. I have a, a piece of a roundhouse to build. Okay. The reason it's a piece is that the Lehigh Valley roundhouse itself had a big fire and about three quarters of it in my era was gone. But, there's a piece of it that still exists today. And in my era, that piece was, was there. Huh. And it's a pure scratch build because of, uh, of what it is. You know, it's like a reinforced concrete uh, roundhouse. Right. And um, I, I, I built a cardboard mock-up of it. Just to, I, I often build a mock-up, you know, just to kind of get a feel of how something's going to sit on the layout. And uh, it kind of kicked my butt. Now, this was, and I built dozens and dozens and dozens of buildings i feel like i can build anything i want to build in structures this mm -hmm. one's very different you know what i mean this is not your usual you know square corner kind of a deal this is a an arc 
And I just found it very, very different to uh, lay it out. And even the techniques of how you put it together are going to be very different, you know? I mean, have you ever had to do anything like that? No, I've, I've not built anything that isn't square, so. Right. It's a yeah. whole different mindset. It really is. Yeah, I think that I'd, I'd probably have to build it in place. I, you know, when I think about how I would approach it, I think I'd want, I'd want to know where it's going to be on the layout. And first and thing I did was put a piece of cardboard down in that spot. Yeah. And, and mock it up right in, right yeah. in the spot. Try to build it at a cardboard first. Exactly. Cardstock, tape it together and, and maybe hot glue or whatever. Yep. And, and just to get my head around, like what, what are the, you know, all the various uh, pieces of it, you know, turn it into like, I guess first you build it and then you, and then once it's successful, you have to, I would take what I've built and turn it into a net so that I have all the, all the two dimensional pieces that I need to make. But, uh, I want I to live with it for a while. You know, I put, yeah. I put, I put it in a spot that's been bare forever. And the minute I put it there, it's like, Whoa, now that there's something there. I'm not used to, not used to that. Yeah. And I, I'm just trying to get used to it being there. I want to make sure I'm comfortable with, the size that I picked, does it need to be a little smaller? You know, sometimes less is more and, and sometimes you got, you have to do what you have to do. So um, I can't guarantee that the way the mock-up is right now is what it's ultimately going to be. I, I think I'll know when I know. I'm not going to rush it. But it's like the last portion of, uh, of Pittston Yard to be finished. And yeah. I think once it's there, uh, it's really going to tie together the whole flavor of that whole engine terminal and and obviously i'm doing selective compression to beat the band obviously you know even though it's a 22 foot long yard but you know it's a fraction of the of the prototype length that's for sure it always is even even when you leave a lot of space like i've you know i've i've got my paper plant is 12 feet long and it's still it's still way compressed way right. and it's a right. small paper plant very my, very small specialized paper my no. my mahoopany proctor and gamble plant is is it's uh two-thirds of an entire peninsula and it's uh it's gigantic it's probably it's probably about you know not much different than than your paper plant in size but uh it's hard to say exactly because it's curved yeah the reason it's curved is that the prototype was built on a bend in the river so the prototype right. is curved just like the plant is um but it's probably 15% of the plant, if, if, you know, if, if that, that's how huge the, the yeah. facility is. Yeah, and, it's big and enough that, to look big, you know, and that's really what you're after. And they were built, they were making like toilet paper or something there, weren't they? Or news? Yeah. But toilet paper, diapers, and paper towels, I think. Yeah. So they're, they're like cranking out a lot of paper. A lot, they were probably like a lot of carloads every day coming out of that place. Well, in my era, they had, I think, 24 spots inside the building. Holy. Yeah. And and they would crank them out three times a day. Yeah. So. <laughs> they, were, they, they were good for a hundred cars a day there between outbound and inbound. And there was wow. a full-time agent there uh, times three shifts and uh, a full-time switcher there times three shifts. So, I mean, it, it, in Lehigh Valley days, the only customer they had that was bigger was Bethlehem Steel. Yeah. So that was their number two customer. So it gives you an idea of just how big a, an operation it was. I could I could write an article just on how the plant works. Yeah, and and big big industries are really really challenging to to try to fit onto a layout like things like steel mills and you know massive like like auto plants. Imagine trying to model right. that. that right. You know, you, your whole basement you'd fill that with just one auto plant with all the. First of all, the size of the cars that are going in and coming out, right? right. You need like an abandoned Home Depot to build it in. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, all these things that those are aspects of of railroading that um, that don't get we they don't get covered a lot by modelers because they're challenging. They're right. and it's challenging to pull them off, um, sort of if, like in a believable way. Right. I remember when I went to Ken McClory's the first time, he, and, and of course he's got a a truly gigantic layout. I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but if you have the opportunity when you go down for uh, uh, the the proto meet there, um, I strongly advise you to take advantage of it because it's, uh, and I took my buddy Scott Mason there and he just kind of walked around and I said, I said to him, I said, you know, you're not going to be able to prepare yourself for what you see in there, but 
I looked over. I just kind of let him go in and walked away, and I saw him. He's just there. Yeah. Just that that jaw dropped uh, stare because the the scale of it. It's very well done. Um, he's got a, a huge steel mill that he modeled, and it looks right because he's got the space to do it. Yeah. It would take you a while just to walk past it. You know, that's how extensive it is. And it should, right? Because a steel plant, like I, I goes on for in, miles. Yeah, I grew up in Hamilton, and and it it like dominates the landscape. It it right. is everything that the city is based on. And complicated yeah. tracks everywhere, different elevations, and all kinds yeah. of rolling stock. So it's a it's it's such a cool industry to to you know to switch with. Yeah, and I think I think as well, like if you're not if if you can't pull off the 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 full show then it's it's maybe better to put it on a backdrop and have an interchange yard or something like that with you know with right that. right well mike mike confalone had done a paper plant that way uh with an amazing backdrop that he that he created because he's very gifted with photoshop and um just you know the the switching in, in front of a portion of the plant was what you really interacted with and we ran that for years you know and then and then one day he sent me a picture and he had taken the backdrop down and I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> but basically he decided to just start from scratch there and he's going to focus on a much larger area that he has to do a paper mill right. And it's going to be a, you know, a full, a full spectrum mill with all raw materials in and, you know, like logs and wood chips in and finished product, uh, fully integrated uh, mill. But it's probably a, I don't know, maybe a 16 foot long area to do it in, which does yeah. it justice. This other one was practically a, you know, a shadow box, little, you know, hole that he punched into the furnace room. So um, what he did there subsectly just looks right there. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's uh, you know, it's the right thing to do, but it's the last thing I expected him to do because it was a finished scene and a very nice scene. Yeah, I've seen photos of that. Um, that scene. I've never seen his layout, but I've I've seen uh, um, pictures of that scene. It's it. I thought it was really well executed. I thought it looked really good. Yeah, yeah. So, like what are background. you modeling these days? You're 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 building all kinds of things, right? What yeah, I'm building a lot of rolling stock these days I, um, because uh, it fits in well between writing product reviews and articles and that sort of thing. And sure. also, like rolling stock makes good articles, right? So. So do um, trucks. Well, yeah, yeah, as well, yeah. So projects like that, they're kind of like bite-sized, right? Yep. Like they're not. One of the things that I like to do with with my projects is is um. Uh, I try to. I I think I think that there's a there's a, a niche for articles about you know a limited number of changes to the model that can really make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the angle that I like to take in, in the model, in the articles that I put together is, you know, like what, and that's, you know, speaking of that, that's kind of the approach that I take to writing reviews as well um, is, is, you know, what is the potential of the product? Like mm -hmm. not, so you point not out what else you could do with it to yeah. take it all the way. Yeah. Or, or not even all the way, but just take it somewhere else. Right. You know, like, right. I mean, the manufacturer can only do so much with a mass-produced model. They need to first of all pick a product that's going to sell, so it has to have a big enough deal, right? And um, and then you know they might they might have kind of uh, they might have to make some compromises in order to make it work for some some you know uh, some paint schemes or whatever. But you know basically they have to pick something that has broad enough appeal that uh that you know people will find it to be bona fide and genuine right mm -hmm. because because people will be up in arms if it's not right or if you claim that it is and it's not right um but you know when i look at a product i look at like what are what is i mean sure it, it's you know this is what the manufacturer's done with it but how can i make it work for me mm -hmm. um and i think that you say that i think that's a that's a little bit of a piece of the hobby that we um that has been a bit I would suggest somewhat foreclosed upon, and I don't know if if it's intentional or just accidental because we have so much that we can buy that that I think that like so much variety, right? Well, and, and I mean, like you could take a quality. tangent car and just 
I basically I, I cut off the trip pin and weather and put it on the layout, you know, because it's a completed Moloko cars are like that, you know. Yeah. And they're um, outstanding, right? Like they're outstanding. And they're outstanding. So I've, exactly. I've got I've got a rail yards model um, X58. I got two of them that I built. And then the, the tangent model came out and I was excited about that. So I bought way too many of them. And, uh, you know, I put them next to each other and I know which one I built and, and which one's a tangent. Um, but you know, those rail yard kits built into a, a state of the art looking yeah. car. Well, they're outst- yeah, also outstanding. Right. So, but, the, but to me, I guess the rail yard kits and I've got a few left, it's great to build them just for the, the sheer joy of building something so well done. Well, that's, that's the whole point, right? Is, is not so much what you, the, like people who are looking at it as an, as the end product, are, I think are missing the point. Right. Like the joy, the joy is in, is in the building. Like how many hours of fun did right. you have putting that thing together? And now, now you can, you know, you can, I mean, it's one thing to say, I bought this excellent Moloko boxcar and I weathered it and I put it on the layout. It looks fantastic. And it's, and it's equally another thing to say, look at this resin kit that I built and put together and it took me 20 or 30 hours or, or whatever it takes. Right. Painted it myself and weathered it, you know, an aspect of the hobby that I think uh, what I was, where I was going with that is I think that, um, uh, I think people, um, because it's so convenient, people are building less and then what happens is because they're building less, they don't see the the possibilities in the th- in the ready to operate models that are beautiful from whomever. Um, but you could do something else with it. I, I think people are missing the opportunities now. I think they're missing, you know, that's, what are the things, yeah, you know, that I could do with this thing because it's it's close to what I need. And pe- and I think also, you know, people are a little bit apprehensive about cutting something apart that they paid good money for. But I mean, it's my money. No fear. Yeah, if I want to drive it over with my truck, I I'll do that. You know, but I feel like I can I can fix anything I wreck for the most yeah. part. You know, what? I uh, Chris, my friend Chris Butts gave me a a, a tangent uh, G forty three gondola that had been pretty much completely destroyed in shipping, and <laughs> uh, I looked at it. And I said, "It's like a kit to me," and yeah. I just I I put it together and and weathered it up and sent him a picture, and he just said unbelievable <laughs> that mike isn't it's worth doing just for that reason you know the the fundamental skill of building isn't so much um like being a model builder isn't so much about you know having all these skills that you get it right all the time it's really about having all the skills it takes to fix your mistakes because yes things, things are going to making go mistakes is how you learn well yeah you can't learn how i learn i just try not to repeat the mistakes you know yeah. So and I mean, about, about a year ago, I went through a very enjoyable uh, stretch of of uh, freight car modeling, and um, I had been looking at you know a lot of pictures and videos from my era, and and I and I realized there was like a there were there were some key uh, models that I was just completely missing, and I had to create them myself. Yeah, I had a lot of old branch line kits, and in fact, when I when I visited branch line way 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 back in the day. Um, Bill Schneider gave me a, a, an armful of, uh, you know, scratch and dent stuff. And he said, and I won't mind if you look in that dumpster over there. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, and I left there with like a huge amount of what ended up being raw materials. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, that was a long, long time ago. Uh, a lot of the things like the ladders and stirrups and things like that have, uh, they didn't age well. You know what I mean? Just, you couldn't yeah. handle them. But I looked at the cars and I thought, I could build this and I could build that. I started looking in the Conrail color guide and I thought, boy, I need that car. I need that car. And I ended up creating maybe, I don't know, 18 or 20 different cars that you can't buy. Um, And as soon as I got those cars in service, I was much happier with how the trains looked. Mm -hmm. Now I had everything in there that I had been missing before. And it just didn't look like, you know, everything else you see off the shelf. I had a good, you know, a good mix going. It was yeah. fun just, you know, painting and decaling and getting back to, you know, to my roots with that kind of thing and really had a ball doing it. Yeah. And, you know, and it, it brings up an interesting point, too, because everybody has their own sort of threshold about how far you want to take it when you're building your own thing, like a resin kit or a scratch build or a kit bash or whatever. 
And I find that now that I have, we have such such amazing ready to run products out there now that I tend to want to take my projects as far. So I want the underframe on my stuff to look like something that Dave would have, you know, come up with over at Tangent, right? So I want to turn them over and go, yep, mine's as nice as Dave's. So I hope they never have to see the underside of mine. That means a derailment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah. But and, and that's the argument, too. Right. Is that you don't have to do that. And and I certainly like every now and then I, I do kind of enter a project thinking I'm going to take cut some corners. And then I don't. It's like, no, I I, I well, want you take pleasure in doing it the way it should be done. So, you know, so it's when, called craftsmanship. So so there's where some of my time goes too, right. Like I do dump a lot of time into um, picking away at bending phosphor bronze wire and you know, cutting things up on that milling machine back there and, and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Which one so, do you have? It looks familiar. It's the same one. Is it the little, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah it's, it's the one that like, it's made in China. I think Micromark sells it. I think the, mm-hmm. the, the machine shop in California place that I think they sell it. They just brand it differently. Right. That's where I got mine. I think, I yeah. think Dave Hussey recommended it to me because he, he had one. Well, I think I think the reality is that you can't get anything that sized and and with that big of a table and um, from anybody else. I think it's the only right. one. That, yeah, I mean, you could get a Sureline, but they're much smaller. Right. And they they have that sort of like that wheel that you crank for the up and down feed, which is not like a real milling machine. Um, and I think that's great for jewelry, but I'm not sure how practical that it would be for me. Right. You know. Well, what uh, kind of stuff are you milling? Like, what are you doing that you use it for? Well. Like for instance, I'm just looking over here. I I did I recently or I'm I'm working on an X29G, which is a you know a Penzi car, um that was rebuilt, um in the 60s, and I had to mill off the sill. So I put the thing upside down in the mill, mm-hmm. and I get a nice. Does a nice, great job on plastic, doesn't it? Right. Well, yeah, and, and this is a resin kit, so it, you know, I flipped, I, I, yeah, I started with a one piece resin kit, flipped it upside down the mill, get it all set up. I can I can clean off the whole the whole sill nice and clean with a perfectly straight reference mm-hmm. edge and i don't have to do any finishing or cleaning of it and i can start building right away now, so that's how are you uh how are you clamping something like that i find that's that tends to be the yeah. trickiest part of the whole thing a lot of it is and i and you know i can't take credit for inventing this stuff uh ryan my friend ryan is is uh he runs the machine shop at the u of t so he when i need to know how to do something i call ryan and he that's says a big resource this is what you're going to do. So a lot of times what I'm doing is um, uh, like, I've got a really good um, uh, 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 the vice that I have on the, on the, on the table is, you know, it's a good ref square reference. So mm-hmm. I can square it. I, I have it nicely squared up. Um, and then he built me this, um, this bracket this vertical brackets an L mm-hmm. so I can, I can actually kind of clamp. Like if I wanted to do the end of a car, I could clamp the car vertically onto this L Mm-hmm. with small clamps and then the other trick that i use a lot is double-sided tape foam tape that's kind of thick and yeah that and holds it really well not just the tape but the tape plus some clamps right okay. and and then really really um small passes with the mill right. so you're not taking a, a lot idea, of material. though. i don't think i would have considered doing that when i've had to do stuff on freight cars i've uh i was experimenting at one time with with removing uh uh, boxcar roofs that you know didn't have the right, right. roof and yeah you know, that's a, a drudgery job you know to do that and um i made some uh wooden blanks that were the size of the inside of the car yeah so that i could clamp the whole thing in place and not worry about yep. squishing the car too much you know but i like the double-sided tape thing that's that's an interesting uh idea i i mean i do mostly what i'm using mine for frankly is is milling weights for sound installs you know yeah I, another business i have in my spare time but uh, right. I, I i'd be lost without it i don't know what the heck i ever did before i got the milling machine i think there was some very very crude looking you know sawzall cut weights in the yeah. very early days you know yeah but yeah the um I, I do a lot i've been doing a lot of milling of frames too like i'll do i've got friends in the area here who do decoder install sound installs and stuff like that and and so now that i have a milling machine they'll send me the frames to do for them Right. So I'll do that sometimes. Um, but a lot that's a, like I'm doing a, a friend's Cato NW2. You know, those are beautiful running engines, but that is no lot. trivial milling job. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it, I, it was a whole evening on, on the machine with that. And, uh, so I milled out the, the, the fuel tank. I milled that out. I'm going to put a, um, speaker. Uh, yeah. Speaker down in there, like a, a scale sounds. Yep. That's what um, I did with mine too. I, I ended up deciding after I went through all of that. Yeah. That I, it's such a pain in the neck to work on that engine and you can't test everything out unless you put it all together. And then, yep. and then you, you know, you put it all together and you realize, ah, oh, I needed to cut a wiring channel, you know, for, cause mm -hmm. I'm hard wiring the trucks and take it all apart again. I mean, it was just, it, I, I got to the point where I said, I don't want to look at this thing again. And I yeah. sold it to Craig Zaney down, down in the, in the Carolinas and put my, my shell on a SW, uh, eight uh proto chassis and never look back <laughs> yeah i don't blame you it it's like i yeah, i'm doing this one because it's my friends and I'm, i've done a couple for myself but uh i mean I, it would be if i had to actually charge somebody money for this it, it would be outrageously expensive right. because it's a lot of time right and oh. it's not even it's, it's not I mean, a trivial it's that you know you can't go too deep because there's cavities inside and that's what holds the motor and you know yeah. what i mean it's 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 not a trivial uh, milling job and and if it was like really worth it you know you you would do it i mean the cato runs great but so does the proto frankly you know yeah that's an all metal yeah. chassis and it just runs great I, i'm probably happiest with that switcher out of all the ones um that i that i run and we run a lot of switchers here in the locals yeah, I I don't I can't say I disagree with you. It's 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 definitely not uh it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure, because it's uh it's a lot of work. Absolutely. It's also fun though, because I get a chance to it's you fun know, for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a challenge too, right? It's a challenge, right? Can you can you make this work? Uh I think I can. But you know, I what is it practical? After doing a couple now, I'd say probably not. No, and I, I sent it to Craig because he he's just got a thing for those and doesn't mind working on them. And he was happy and I was happy and we all live to fight another day. Yeah. So what's yeah. next for you? The next thing you're going to be doing is, is it hindsight that's next? Uh, we just did one last week. So we're not, we're not, we're only going to do two a year now. So oh, okay. we'll you do did one. hindsight. So the yeah. next thing for you is the, uh, the Philly area proto meet. Yeah. I was going to, um... and you're definitely not going to uh, any RPM. No, no, they like, you're on they, tour, right? You said. Oh no, it's just a concert. But oh. but they, they uh, it's not a tour. I I I don't I'm, I don't think I can survive touring anymore. Okay. <laughs> no, the, the um, uh, yeah, they they normally have it in what the second weekend of June, and I think it's the first this year. It it, it does it, the third. It it, so, bo it bounces, you know, depending, oh, okay. depending upon the holiday and how that falls. I blocked off the weekend that I, I was anticipating it would be. And then, mm. and then I booked shows on the other weekends and then, right. and then it was like, ah, I guess I can't make it now, but that's all right. But rumor okay. has it, you're going to be done in these parts. What is it? Sometime in August. Yeah. Michelle and I are going to come down that way and, and try to visit some people, ride some yeah, rail okay. trails, um, you know, try to catch up with some folks. There's some layouts. Uh, there's a lot of layouts down in that part of the world I, that I haven't seen. So and you know what? They're worth seeing. You know, if you can, you, I could probably put in a good word for you with a couple of my, uh, with my cronies. So, you know. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And maybe we'll, we'll have to go out and have a meal or something. And some Absolutely. beverages or something. Absolutely. Well, I, unless you've got something else to talk about, I think that's a good, uh, good logical uh, conclusion. Uh, I guess I'll take the, uh, just a quick moment to say that uh, to my, Dartmouth Locomotive Works customers, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm getting a massive Loxon shipment uh, next week, so I should be able to start filling back orders again. There's been a lot of commotion around, uh, you know, that company, as I'm sure you heard, and um, a lot of um, a so lot of back and forth with the owner to get things uh, straightened out. But the decoders are coming back in stock now. Is that what seem you're saying? Seem to be now. Whether that holds up or not, like 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 Jurgen told me one time, he said, you know. I'm one of the larger users of power packs because a lot of people don't use them, but almost every one of my installs has one. Yeah. And um, he said, I wish I could get your power packs right now, but I'm not, I'm not able to get a component out of Texas instruments. And mm. until I get that component, I can't build the power packs, you know, and it's just, it's just the way it is in, 
in the, in the high tech these days, you know, one little thing and you can't get your product out the door, but I think they, hopefully they, they've got their, their, um, you know, their sourcing uh, straightened out and I won't have to be my own warehouse again. I'll have to chat with you about some, some uh, decoder quirks that I, I'm trying to work out. We'll do that. We'll do that another time. Yeah. We'll take that offline. Yeah. All right, Jerry slash Hunter. Always good to talk with you. Yeah, likewise. It's good to be here. Maybe not leave it for three years next time or whatever, however long it's been, right? Well, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And I think guys sure. like this are always having fun. At least that's what people think. We don't want to, we don't want that illusion to be uh, dashed. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, be well, my friend. All right. Same to you and everybody else. Take care until next time. Cheers.